Well, good evening and welcome. We have some special guests here tonight that'll be with us uh, <laughs> for the next couple months. Raul and Lydia from Guatemala. And uh, did you guys bring your fur coats with you? Uh, <laughs> uh, let's turn our Bibles uh, tonight to uh, Job chapter 6. We are uh, looking at the book of Job. And there's a number of things, of course, there's many lessons that you can, and we will get uh, from these, these chapters. But one of, the, uh, one of the lessons is how to counsel, and also how not to counsel. Uh, we are looking at Job and his friends at this particular uh, point in the book of Job. And last week we uh, were looking at... Uh, the, uh, the things that Eliphaz had to say, I don't know if you would call it a diatribe, but um, it was anything but gracious. And you know, the Bible says uh, regarding these kinds of matters, we need to be uh, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So quick to listen. Uh, and, and slow when it comes to you know, responding and, and certainly being careful what we say. You know, when we looked at these guys, uh, the three of them, I, you know, we commended them in the beginning because they sat with Job for seven days. And that was commendable. It really was. Um, and they basically said nothing. And they were much better off at that point, to say nothing than to say all the things that they are saying at this particular point. Um, and one of the things that we find when we get to chapter 6 here, um, you know, Job is looking for compassion. He's looking for empathy. And, and rightly so. I mean, the guy's lost everything. Um, his family, all of his children, 10 of his children, uh, he's lost just... Uh, you know, his, his, you know, his career, so to speak, and he had quite a staff of servants, and uh, he was a wealthy man, and all of a sudden, he's, he's bankrupt, and he even loses, in a sense, the, the fellowship of his wife when she, you know, and you can understand her, too. You, you lose, we, you, we know how it would be just losing one child, um, but to lose all 10 of your children, to be wiped out, and, and Satan is just beating on them, beating on them. And so she says to her husband, Job, maybe it's just time. Curse God and die. You know, get it over with kind of a thing. Um, and yet uh, we find that, you know, the Lord's got a plan here. He's got a purpose. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that he hasn't called me uh, to experience the things that we see taking place in the life of Job. And I think Job is this absolute worst case scenario. And, um, and we're just going to see how he handles this situation where uh, everything that possibly could go wrong did go wrong in this man's life. Everything that he worked for, everything that he had, everything that he apprised, uh, everything that he loved, everything it seems to be was just sort of wrenched, you know, out of his hands and, and out of his life. And, and yet we see the response you know, initially, you know, uh, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And and he didn't charge God with any foolishness. Um, 
you know, look to God in the, in the face of, you know, what, where do we go from here? And so as we find him, as we come here now to chapter 6, uh, obviously he has some complaints. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in the beginning, when somebody uh, uh, is going through deep grief and pain, we need to let them have their cathartic moment. Uh, we need to allow them to, you know, vent uh, but sometimes, too, I think we need to be careful that we don't vent too much or, or too long. Uh, I think sometimes, um, you know, when we just keep rehashing it, and, and of course we maybe know somebody or maybe it's even happened to us, uh, we've had a traumatic event that's taken place in our life, and we find ourselves very difficult to get over it. We find ourselves just maybe rehashing it, you know, in our mind and reliving it. Um, and one of the things about you, the Bible does warn, the Proverbs warn against ventilation, too much ventilation. Uh, certainly, again, he need to have his moment, his, you know, his cathartic moment, to have his catharsis and just, you know, get it out, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but if you vent too long, it, it has a way of sort of deepening those things, you know, within our life and within our experience. And we need to be able to just sort of, you know, by God's grace, you know, give it over to him and let go. Um, and as we look at this, as we look at Job at the, in this place, it, it indicates that this has gone on now for a couple months. Uh, that was one, that's always one of the questions of how long did this trial go on in this man's life? Well, he mentions the fact at this point there have been certain months uh, that he's wrestling, you know, with these particular issues. And, and not only has he lost all these things, he's really, in a sense, lost the friendship of these men. Um, and, and one of the things that you also discover when it comes to counseling a lot of the things that these guys say is right. In other words, theologically right. The problem is it's misapplied. And sometimes, you know, you can have your ducks lined up theologically, but if you don't have discernment, if you don't have sensitivity, um, if you don't have, you know, the heart of Christ, you know, about these kind of matters, um, that even though theologically you have a certain understanding uh, yet it can, you can say the wrong thing. You can misapply. You can misapply, you know, truth. And that's why counseling, to find uh, a good counselor is a good thing. And some people, I believe a lot of people in the body of Christ, you know, have that ability, have that gift. And one of the things that, uh, when I look at over the years, all the counseling I've done, a lot of times you find the best thing you can do, first and foremost, is a lot of listening. Uh, a lot of listening uh, before you, you know, jump, you know, right in and, uh, you know, try to correct. And what we try to do in counseling is try to help people. But how important it is, you know, when it comes to these matters of the heart um, that we tread very carefully, uh, that, that we, you know, pray for. One of the things that, you know, is, excuse me, as I would do counseling, you know, for years, that uh, people would just come and just begin to unpack, you know, their, their issues. And as they were doing that, and even as they were talking, you know, as they were maybe sharing, uh, not even initially, but, you know, throughout the counseling, um, I would be praying, always praying, praying, Lord, give discernment here. Lord, help this person. Because uh, in a sense, you know, what can we do? What can we really do if God doesn't help them? Uh, so we need to be equipped. We need to be, you know, given that, you know, the ability to be able to say the things, you know, to, to, you know, to, to be merciful, to be kind, to be compassionate. And so, uh, and so with that, let's jump in, in here to chapter 6. So we've heard from Eliphaz, very logical Eliphaz was uh, in the last chapter, you know, very f logical, but he was very wrong. 
as he was applying you know, his, his, what he understood the situation was. And again, his premise was simply this. And this was, I think, the premise of also too many people. Uh, this was the premise, in a sense, under, underlied all of Job's friends, uh, Eliphaz, uh, Bildad, and Zophar, uh, you know, is basically that good and innocent people do not suffer. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that is wrong. That is so absolutely wrong. And if you, and again, we have the vantage point of looking at different characters in the Bible. We have the vantage point of our own particular experience, you know, uh, and we're able to discern and see things, you know, through the lens of the Holy Spirit. That yes, good and innocent people, you know, do suffer. Uh, bad things happen to good people. Uh, and that's a very unfortunate thing. But that's you know that's part that's the world that we live in. And, and when we begin to understand that and know that, we'll be able to handle uh, these particular issues. Because, again, they think, in a sense, they think that Job is really, this is Job's fault. And, of course, we have the vantage point. They didn't. We have the vantage point of chapter 1 and 2. Uh, we know exactly what's going on here, this conversation between uh, the Lord himself and, and the devil. And we know the devil's into this. He's into this up to his neck, uh, trying to destroy Job, trying to make... Uh, you know, trying to, you know, to basically make Job look like a mercenary, that you, you don't really love God. Uh, you're just doing this because God has blessed you. He's put a hedge around you. He does so many good things, you know, for you. That's why you're doing it. Um, and, of course, he's going to find out here that, the, the, you know, the devil's wrong, uh, that there are those individuals. Sure, there's mercenaries. <laughs> there, there always will be. Uh, there's sometimes there are people come to, to God out of wrong motive, you know, for basically want God to be their genie, you know, kind of a thing. Um, but we find here Job is a person, he's a, he's a person of deep, deep integrity. We see that actually from chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Lord himself uh, tells us that. <clears throat> so uh, since good things, you know, since, you know, since um, good and innocent people don't suffer, then Job, God must be angry with you. And of course, we know that he is not. And Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and, and my calamity laid with it on the scales, then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, and therefore my words have been rash. And, and grief has that kind of effect upon our spirit, a sort of a heaviness. We talk about it sometimes as, as a burden. As a matter of fact, the, 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 um, the older term, the, the um, I can't think of the word anyway, but the older term for uh, depression is heaviness. And, um, and it, it does seem like that when you're, when you're grieving, that there's just a weight that you just can't get off. It's, you know, it's, it's your spirit. You're, you're in shock. You're, you're devastated. You're affected by it. And you're kind of in a sense, you know, that's why sometimes, you know, depression, some kind can be so, dis it can just so disable you. I don't know if you've ever had um, you know, a, a period, a time of depression. Uh, I remember uh, I went through a two-year period. It was like a clinical depression. It wasn't that I wasn't doing any, you know, I was just, you know, like the, you see the commercials, you know, the person's just, you know, you know, type of thing. I was functional, but, but, I, but in my life, in my deep in my heart, there was a depression because I, you know, there was something that took place in my life that I felt was just an absolute failure, um, I, I, I basically, I took a step of faith out uh, to serve the Lord, and everything just sort of fell apart. And, and I remember just, I, wouldn't, I would not tell anybody that, I would not say anything, but as I look back at it, there was a two-year period of just simply depression. 
And uh, finally, I had to just honor, you know, realize that and, and just give it to the Lord uh, and let him just maybe lift that and, and, re, and, and remove it. And he did. Uh, but sometimes we, as God's people, you know, uh, one of the things that you see uh, in, in Scripture, uh, and that's what I love about the Bible, it's so honest, it's so transparent, and that we see God's people, yeah, they go through depression, they go through all kinds of, you know, emotional hang-ups and struggles, just like, in a sense, like any human being does. But the difference for us, between us and the world, is we have the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit. You know, we have the one that can heal us, that can fix us, um, you know, that... Uh, you know, you think of, you know, how many people, so many people, that is, maybe go to a psychiatrist and psychologist to try to, you know, or Dr. Phil or whatever the case may be. Uh, that's why when you have, you know, programs like Dr. Phil, you know, the, his audience is vast, you know, because people are looking for answers. They're looking for help about so many, you know, issues and so forth. But again, we have the Lord, and he will indeed help us, but we have to be willing to maybe give him our problems uh, confess them, you know, turn them over to him, and let him work. And so Job's working through that. He, he's working, you know, through that. Again, we, uh, you know, uh, in this age, this church age, this, this you, know, we, we have, you know, we have the scriptures, we have the insight of the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives in a very special way. We have uh, so many more dynamics to help us than Job did. And he's working through these particular things, but also, too, it's important that he works through these things because as he does, I think there's a lot of things that you and I can just sort of uh, take a page from. We can learn something from this. And so he goes on to say, <clears throat> verse 4, uh, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Well, the fact of the matter is we've seen that he is the, he is the direct uh, target of Satan. Uh, these are not the arrows of the Almighty. Satan is trying to destroy this guy. In other words, he just sort of feels like someone's bow hunting him, uh, you know, with these poison arrows shooting them in. And, of course, when these kind of things happen, it is like a poison. Uh, it's like a poison. Somebody, did, did you ever get maybe... Uh, verbally assaulted and attacked, and things were said to you that were so hurtful. And that's what they felt like. They, they feel like poison arrows that kind of get into your, you know, they get into your flesh, and they just sort of begin to just affect you and impact you in that kind of way. And this is the way the guy is feeling. And according to, basically, he, he's sharing how he basically feels. And, and he's basically being honest, even though uh, a lot of his, uh, uh, you know, when he thinks about what the Lord may be uh, doing to him, uh, he's wrong on so many in so many different ways because Satan is trying to destroy this guy. And he says, does the wild donkey bray? Uh, verses 5, 6, and 7 are really kind of one thought here. Uh, does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Well, no. Does the ox low over its fodder? No. Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Well, I guess it can, but it won't taste very good. And is there any taste in the white of an egg? Uh, no, not really, not much at all. Uh, what he's implying here, basically, that even if he complains, you know, uh, is there not a reason for that? Because the whole, the whole issue here is so loathsome, it's so hateful to him. Uh, he, he just, in a sense, wants to be free, you know, from this particular, you know, situation. But he can't be. Uh, so basically the vent, the vent, the complaining, um, is, is taking place in his life here. For my soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food uh, to me. And oh, that I might have my request, 
uh, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Now, he has said this before, but like many people, they want to so escape their, their situation uh, that just give me a quick death. Uh, and, and, and what we said before, he never attempts or suggests to take his own life, okay? And, and I think this is, this is a very relevant issue today. Uh, uh, suicide is at pandemic levels. It's beyond epidemic levels. It's really at pandemic levels. When you hear when you hear about the military services, and when I was in the service, you know, 50 years ago, it, it was a totally different situation. I never, I never ever heard uh, of suicide. Uh, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I never heard of it. And, and to hear now that 20, uh, 20 people in the military every day commit suicide—that's the average. That's the average. About 20 people in in the American military and all the different services that take their life, and it, and it's sad and it's tragic. And, uh, and uh, it, happens, uh, uh, it, it happens in our secular culture as well. It happens, you know, it happens, um, we were told, um, and we've seen this pattern take place, and particularly among young people and teenagers, uh, because they're so emotionally entwined oftentimes in one another's life. And, you, and we all know is when we're at, at one point when we're in our teenage years, you're just sort of your one throbbing emotion kind of a thing. And we've discovered, and it's been discovered basically, that oftentimes when one uh, young person, you know, takes their life, oftentimes it happens in triplicate. Uh, two of their friends oftentimes because they're so... Um, you know, they're so impacted by the fact that their, their, their you know, best friend or whatever the case may be has taken their life. And, um, and, it, and it's, a, it's, a very important, it's a very important issue in our culture and our society. And, uh, and I think that if, you know, if we know people that, uh, um, you know, maybe have uh, vocalized that, maybe they've said something to that effect, maybe it's an opportunity for us to maybe draw close to them and encourage them, or, or at the very least, we need to be praying for them that the Lord would protect them. Because one thing I'm convinced, you know, my mother committed suicide, okay? Um, it's kind of, it's something close to me. And um, I think that, uh, you know, that uh, as much as we can, we need to be able to maybe reach out and just pray for folks and, and help folks in any kind of a way re just relative to this because many people are thinking about it. Um, and it's one of those kind of things, it's a permanent fix to a temporary problem. That, that's the thing. Uh, when it comes to depression, oftentimes, you know, you can be the deepest depression. The next day, you can be out of it. Uh, it, it, it happens, you know, like that. Um, and we're even getting to a point where just young children are even, you know, taking their lives. And it's a very sad thing. And, uh, and I am convinced of, I'm convinced of this. I don't need scientific proof, but I'm convinced that everybody that takes their life, one minute after they take their life and they enter into eternity, they are sorry. They are sorry. But the problem is you can't come back. You can't come back. It's one of those, kind of, it's one of those issues that it basically, it, it terminates, you know. Uh, it doesn't give the Lord a, a, a further opportunity to work in your life, to encourage you, to lift you out of, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and some folks just, you know, they're, 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 they're more inclined I think or they have more of a disposition toward it, you know, because of their particular personality, whatever the case may be. And, um, and I can remember, you know, my dad and I, years ago before my mom um, 
my mom committed suicide in, in 1992. And I can remember back in the, the 60s, uh, she would try to overdose uh, on amphetamines. And I can remember my father and I just keeping her awake and walking her so, she, so that she could wear the amphetamines off. And, you know, she was just one of those kinds of persons that really, you know, struggled with life and felt that life, you know, you know, dealt her a, 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 a you know, a bad, you know, bad luck and all that sort of thing. And it was just kind of, it was kind of tragic. And certainly we shared the Lord uh, with her. I don't know. Uh, I always, you know, I'm always hopeful that maybe, you know, before somebody passes, you know, in the last moments of their life, they'll maybe cry out to Jesus. And, uh, and certainly if that's the case, you know, the Lord will indeed, uh, the Lord will indeed hear. So that's what Job is kind of thinking here. If he can just escape this situation, you know, a quick, uh, just a quick death, God, take me, crush me, you know, kind of a thing. But you notice it's something interesting uh, that I've been reading uh, of late, actually um, uh, in another book, in, in Lamentations uh, chapter 3. I can read it to you. You don't have to read it. Uh, you might want to write it down. Verses 31 through 36 and Jer- uh, Lamentations is written by Jeremiah, and it's sort of, a, it's sort of an outpouring of a grievance because Judah, uh, his, his, you know, his people, his nation, uh, they have been crushed. You know, they have uh, gone basically into captivity and so forth. And he says this, and it's very insightful what he says here in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a great chapter Uh, in those four chapters of uh, this book of Lamentations, where he says this, For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion, according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly. Uh, The literal there is, he does not afflict from his heart. And that's a very important point. That it's, that it's not from the heart of God, that, that God can, yes, he, 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 can, he brings affliction, he permits it, he's allow, he allows it. He sometimes has to chasten it, chasten us, but it's not his heart. His, really, his heart is a heart of love. Uh, he's gracious. You know, sometimes you look when he's, ha- when he's had to deal, you know, with his people in antiquity and in history. Uh, I'm sure he did it with a tear in his eye. Because he does not afflict willingly. It's not in his heart. His heart is to bless. His heart is to encourage. His heart is to you know, just reach out and, and, and you know, minister to us and, and lift us up in the midst of our difficulty and our situation. It's kind of like in the sense of parent. And if any of you had you know, some kids and, um, and it came time where you just knew you had to spank them. Just, you know, just, it's time. It's just time. I can remember Margie and I talking about it. You know, the kids, um, it wasn't so much the girls as maybe it was the boys. And, um, and I, I would say to Margie, I said, it's building up. It's building up. I can feel it. She says, yeah, I can feel it too. And then finally I would have to uh, take out the, uh, the Board of Education and apply it to the seat of knowledge. And, uh, but you know something, as a parent, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. It's like the last thing. It's like you kind of put it off and you put it off and you put it off and... And, uh, but, but you do it because you know you need to do it and you love your kids and you want to correct them. Um, and I understand today you correct your kids, you might end up in jail. Uh, it's sad that we've come to that as a nation. And, and what's sad is, is unfortunately, some children are abused. 
Um, child correction in the Bible is not abuse, okay? It's correction. It's nurture. Uh, it's discipline. Uh, it's child training. Um, we want to break certain habits in the lives of our kids um, because certain habits can be destructive later on. And, and the, Lord, the Lord, you know, he's the perfect father, isn't he? Uh, he knows exactly, uh, you know, in, in his dealings with us. So he says here in, in uh, verse 33 of um, Lamentation 3, he does not afflict willingly or from the heart, nor grieve the children of men to crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth. To turn aside the justice do a man before the face of the Most High? Or to subvert a man in his cause the Lord does not approve? Isn't that powerful? That, I mean, that gives you a real insight into the heart of God. And how he, you know, how he, uh, oftentimes, you know, how he works with us, how he even puts up with us. Um, and that's why sometimes he'll even allow us to, 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 to you know, follow our plan you know, even when it isn't a good plan. Um, and so anyway, back here to, uh, to Book of Job, uh, verse, um, excuse me, verse, where are we? verse 10 here in chapter 6. <clears throat> now he's talking about being crushed and, you know, God's hand cutting him off. And then I would still have comfort. He, he, he's thinking he would have comfort in this because his pain would be over. And though in anguish, I would exalt. Uh, uh, he will not spare for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. I have not denied them. And again, that was one of the, one of the uh, uh, charges against him, the accusations against him. You know, that, that Job, you know, you're not, uh, you're not walking with the Lord. You're not, you know, you're not, you know, walking in truth kind of a thing. And, and the fact is, he is. And it must be very hard when you've got your best friends uh, who really do love you. And, and the fact of the matter is, his friends are really trying to help him. But, of course, they're not. They're not at all. And um, so he's very grieved by that. What, he says, what strength do I have that I should hope? Um, and what is my end or, or, or my goal or the end of the, the matter that I should prolong my life? So he feels basically that he cannot endure any longer. He's got nothing really to live for. Um, and, again, the thing about negative feelings, that can change tomorrow. Uh, sometimes you wake up and you feel, you feel bummed. And by the end of the day, man, the Holy Spirit, you're just lifted up. You know, God's Spirit just comes in, and maybe you just spend some time in prayer or, or read the Bible, and all of a sudden you find yourself just encouraged and, and lifted up by the whole thing. You know, the, the fact of the matter is he has a good future. He has a good future. He doesn't know it. Um, you know, think, think of sometimes, you know, all of our worries and, and sometimes all of our complaints. Uh, how, how so often our worries don't come to pass. And you, and, and, you know, I was just riding, I was going to the doctor's this morning, and I'm, you know, riding out to uh, 390, and, uh, and it just hit me. It's like, Lord, thank you. I was just, it just sort of, you know how the Holy Spirit sometimes just sort of uh, nudges you and prompts you, and, and, and I just start praising him, just start thanking him. Because there's such a tendency in our world today, there's so many negative things going on around us, like, you know, gripe and complain and that sort of thing. And I wasn't griping or complaining, but it just sort of hit me that I needed to just praise him, to just praise him and thank him. And, and it just sort of, it just kind of lifted my spirits um, as, I, as I simply began to do that. Because again, we have a future and a hope. Jeremiah tells us that, doesn't he? 20, is it 28-11 or 29-11? Uh, we, we have a future and we have a hope. 
And even, even when it looks so utterly hopeless, you know, in this world. That's why David said this. And the word hope is interchangeable with the word expectation. And that's why David said this. My expectation is of the Lord or from the Lord. Okay? And a lot of times when we look at maybe our lives or our circumstances, they may look hopeless. Um, we may be getting beat up by life. But again, uh, our future and our hope is in the Lord. And sometimes we have to endure these, these periods. Sometimes you have to endure a period of, 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 of suffering, a, a period of depression, uh, a period of just simply setback, you know, in your life. Uh, and, and the thing is, which is important for you and I as, as Christians, don't allow that to define you, okay? Because for a lot of people, they, they sort of get stuck in that gear, they get stuck in maybe, you know, a depression, a funk. They just simply can't get out of that. Uh, there's maybe some traumatic event that's taken place, you know, in their life and in their situation. I, uh, I'm going to be speaking out at uh, uh, Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes for the Veterans Day uh, next week. And you know, one of the things I noticed, because I had PTSD when I got, you know, I, got, came, I came back from Vietnam, and, uh, uh, but there was a lot of guys, you know, my closure came for me, uh, when I met Christ, um, he healed me. He healed me. I, 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 did, I definitely had PTSD. Um, and I see some other, I, I've seen some other, you know, uh, you know, my contemporaries from that period, you know, guys that for years they, they suffered. For years they couldn't get over the post-traumatic stress disorder. It just, it, it, these kind of things, traumatic events can, can define you. For the, for the, it could define people for the rest of their life. And that does not need to be the case for you and I. We need to be defined by the grace of God. We need to be defined basically by God's will. You know, God wants our lives to be defined by, you know, our blessed relationship with him, not by some traumatic event. And eventually, traumatic events happen to everybody. You know, you get in a car accident, you lose a loved one, you lose a job, you know, the marriage falls apart, there's a divorce, a child, you lose a child. Uh, these kind of things are just simply a part of life. We're not exempt from those kinds of things. But praise God, because of his grace in our life, the, these things do not have to define us and become the determining factor for the rest of our life. We can't, get, we can't get beyond it. We're just working through it over and over and over and again. And the funny thing is, the more you rehash it, the, the more it begins to just sort of control your thinking. And, and that's the blessed thing of being able to confess, to be able to give it over to him by faith, not by feelings, but simply by faith. Lord, I can't, I can't handle this. It's wearing me out. It's too heavy. It's a burden. Uh, and, and as we do that, man, God's grace will come in and that, that heaviness, that, that thing, whatever it is, that trauma, it'll be lifted from our lives and we'll be able to live above it. Uh, that's the thing, you know, as a child of God, we have to go through these things. And as we go through these things, they can become a ministry for us. Uh, we become, they can become a ministry where we minister to other people. As they're going through those particular things, we can say, well, you know what? Here's what the Lord did for me. You know, God helped me. God healed me. You know, the Lord, you know, the Lord, you know, got me through this thing, and, and, and maybe I can help you. Maybe I can, I can pray with you. Maybe I can counsel with you. Maybe we can get together and, and maybe work through this, kind, this, this, this type of thing. And, um, and, the, and the Lord will. He'll do it. He's done it for me. He's done it for many different people um, that, I've, that I've known and, and, and have spent time with. 
He says, is, is, is uh, excuse me, uh, yes, is my strength a strength of stones? Well, no. Or is my flesh bronze? Uh, no, not exactly. Is my help not within me? And is success driven from me? Now, see, now he feels utterly weak and helpless in this situation. And he's simply thinking that his life is an absolute failure. And sometimes failures feel like that. I, I mean, imagine Job is a successful man. Uh, we, we said at the beginning of this, uh, uh, this Job's letter here that we put him basically at a place of 60 years old. Okay? This is, this is the antediluvian or the post-flood period. Uh, people didn't live as long pre-flood, okay? Pre-flood, they lived, what, seven, eight, nine hundred years. This is post-flood. And so after the, after the flood, uh, the, the life expectancy changed. Uh, and we're told that after this trial, he lives in for another 140 years. So he's going to live basically 200 years. So, uh, so imagine here at 60 years, he, he's lived long enough to have ch- 10 adult children, He loses everything. Everything is sort of wiped out. So imagine that. Uh, Even imagine wherever you are right now in your life, and you've just sort of lost everything. You're going to feel that that's basically, this is it. it, Life is over. I I can't handle this kind of failure. Uh, it It took me 60 years to get to this point. How will I ever, once again, you know, regain my my footing? And and so basically, uh, his life basically to him is just simply, it's a failure. It, it's never, it's never going to amount to anything. And again, you know what? You know what success is for you and I? It's being faithful. It is being faithful. Uh, I was thinking in light of this verse um, over in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 7, verse 3. You just want to write it down. I'm just going to quote it real quickly. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by, this, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. Isn't that an important point, very important point? Because we so often, that's why sometimes somebody is always laughing and always jovial. Oftentimes, that, that person, it may indicate that person is extremely shallow. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And that's why you'll, you'll notice that you'll learn a lot more from those lessons in your life those failures, those setbacks, those times of sorrow, you will learn a lot more then than those times where you were just laughing away. And you maybe can already think of maybe some events that, that really impacted your life and, and really changed your life. Um, and that's how God, God oftentimes uses. He uses our trials, he uses our sorrows, he uses all those things because he's fashioning something eternal in us. Hey, I like to laugh. I, you know, the Bible says laughter is a medicine for your soul. Uh, but we, we're not laughing all the time, okay? And, and we're going to see here with Job that God is going to use the sorrow, you know, in his life because it is, better than, it is better than fun. It is better than laughter because by his sadness of his countenance face, his heart, his spirit will be made, will be made better. Uh, to him, excuse me, to him who is afflicted. Now, this verse really gave me great insight a number of years ago. Because I was doing a funeral for a family. And this family was not only backslidden. It's a family that used to attend. 
The family was not only backslidden, but they were in deep sin. And I was so perplexed at what to say in this funeral. Because a tragedy had happened. And certainly I wanted to comfort them on the tragedy. But should I say something more instructive relative to where they were spiritually? And God gave me this verse here, 14, and it really spoke to my heart. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, what an what a, what a awesome truth that we have there. And again, he's pleading here with his three friends that even if he, he's saying that even if I have lost the fear of God, he hadn't. But even if I had lost the fear of God, you know, shouldn't you guys show me empathy and kindness? And I think what that verse tells us, you know what? There's a time for reproof or rebuke or instruction. And then there's another time for empathy. There's another time for sympathy. And if I were you guys, I'd highlight that verse. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great truth that we find there in, in verse 14. To him who is afflicted, let kindness be shown by his friend. Because Job, poor Job's getting beat up. And they, they've assessed his life that, Job, you deserve this, buddy. You, you are getting exactly what you deserve. And he is not. He is not. See, sometimes we can be so convinced we're right. And at the same time, dead wrong. Dead wrong. That's why, folks, you know what? We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit sensitivity. You know, we need the heart of God. We need to be really represent Jesus. And, uh, and, and, you know, in counseling and in, in, in pastoring and dealing with folks, man, I have learned so many things about, about human nature, about how God deals with people. I've learned so many things about myself. And, and one of the things about, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with folks, sometimes you make some mistakes. You know, these guys here, they love Job. They're his friends. They're trying to counsel him. But they're dead wrong. They're dead wrong, and, and in their absolute conviction, it's like they're driving nails into this guy. And he's just crying out, just crying out for some kind of, you know, empathy and, and sympathy uh, in his situation. Now, verse 15, <clears throat> my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away. In other words, when a stream overflows, it changes direction. In other words, you know, you're, you, you guys came to comfort me, and man, you're beating me up. Uh, now he says, which, which are dark because of the ice into which the snow uh, vanishes. In other words, his, friend and his, his friends, in a sense, instead of bringing light, they, by their darkness, they, by their criticism, they just brought darkness instead of bringing light and encouraging him. When it is warm, they cease to, to flow like in the summertime. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. 
Um, so basically, he's saying, you know, in my fiery trial, man, you guys are not, you're not, you're not giving me any refreshment at all. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere uh, and perish. And, you know, that's the thing about uninspired counsel. It's like that. It doesn't really give guidance. I, you know, I feel sorry for, you know, one of the highest suicide rates among professionals is psychiatrists. Did you ever know that? And, and I think what happens is because, you know, they're there to help people. There's no doubt about that. And, and maybe they can to a certain degree, but it's limited. It's limited. And as folks come in, they just kind of, all this stuff gets dumped on them over and over. Maybe, I've, I imagine if anything, um, you know, that's, that's probably what happens is, you know, they get just loaded up with people's woes and troubles. And, and one of the things that I discovered as a counselor, and it was an amazing thing, it was miraculous. It was simply because I was counseling for the Lord that I could, uh, sometimes I would counsel five people a day, and that's a lot. Sometimes you spend like at least an hour, you know, with somebody counseling. And it's amazing. Uh, I could turn my light off in my office. I can close my door. And you know what? I could walk away and none of it stuck to me. None of it stuck to me. And, I, and you can ask Margie. I never, ever came home and, you know, you know just bloop. Here's what happened today, you know, kind of a thing. And that was the Lord. That's because I was... You know, I was doing his business, so to speak. And um, so let's pick it up here again. Um, they go nowhere, they perish, you know, no, no guidance. The caravans of Tima look, the travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they, are, they were confident. They come and they are confused. He's confessing his own disappointment, his own confusion, as his friends came to help him. But they, they, like a caravan, they brought nothing at all. For now you are nothing, he says. You see terror and are afraid. In other words, all they could see as they looked at Job was calamity, you know, and, and, and fear and all those sorts of things. Uh, how sad that's all they had to give to their dear friend. Did I say bring something to me or offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the, from the enemy's hands or redeem me uh, from the hand of the oppressors? So uh, he's basically saying, has there ever been any time in the past where I needed your help that, for you to just come and get me out of a jam? No, no. It's never happened before. This is a unique situation. Job can't explain it. You know, sometimes, you know what, there's things that happen in the life. Uh, certainly, I can understand it in the life of a secular-minded unbeliever. Because they don't, they don't accept the fact that there's a God. They don't accept the fact that there's, you know, demonic agencies. You know, there's that invisible war, that invisible world. They don't understand that. We do. We've been given insight, you know, from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God. And... Uh, and so it's important. Again, we, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, we have an ability to be able to, you know, to, to see those things and understand those things um, and to help and to, you know, uh, you know minister to somebody. These, these guys, in a sense, they don't really see that. They don't really understand, you know, that particular, yeah, that, that realm. Um, and it's more than, that's, that's why it's more than just some psychologist or some secular-minded person can handle. They can't handle that it's it, they they don't see all the other dynamics that are involved in the matter, and and certainly Job doesn't fully understand what's going on here. His friends don't. 
Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein uh, I have erred. So he's basically saying, I'll be quiet. You instruct me, correct me. Help me to understand my errors. Uh, we'll work this thing out. Uh, how force, forceful are right words? You know, when words are true and accurate, they have a good impact. And that's why we want our words to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important to get the Word of God in you. Because the Word of God is truth, right? And the more that we get the truth in us, the more it's going to come out uh, at those junctures and opportunities when we need to be you know, able to share the truth of what God has put in there, what we've put in there you know, earlier because of our reading. But what does your arguing prove, he's saying here? Um, uh, do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of, the, of a desperate one, which are as wind? Uh, he's closing here basically with a passionate uh, appeal. Uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, all their arguing, trying to make their point. Uh, and yet, even though they have their points, and like I said before, uh, many things that Job's friends say are theologically correct. Wrongly applied. Misapplied. Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless. You undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me. For I would never lie to your face. Yield now. Let there be no injustice. In other words, no untrue uh, you know, accusation. You know, it's interesting. An untrue accusation is the ultimate injustice. That was one of the things that really graded me about the social justice movement. Just making some assumption everybody's racist. Really? Well, if America is so racist, how come we have a, we've had a black president for eight years? And some of the accusations, some of the things that the social justice, I, I understand people that want social justice. I can appreciate that. The Bible wants social justice. <laughs> but you don't get social justice by burning down the police precinct, by wrecking cars and destroying small businesses. That's not how you get social justice. And again, basically... A false accusation is the ultimate injustice. And there were so many you know, false accusations um, toward people just, I think, sadly to get the attention. So he says, yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness still stands. There was only two people that understood God, or that Job was... Uh, uh, innocent, and that was Job and God. Nobody else, you know, understood. I, I, you know, I would even, I even imagine, it's even possible that maybe after this all happened, Job's wife looked at him and said, you know, are you sure? Are you sure you didn't do something? Are you sure you didn't bring this down? You, that's just human nature, right? But he knows and God knows. He is. He's as innocent as the driven snow. He says, is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern uh, the unsavory? So again, he applies that, you know, even if he had been unjust in any way, you know, uh, deep down, he would have known it. He, he, would, have, he would have understood that. Uh, now, chapter 7. Now, his complaint continues here in this chapter. Uh, 
he seemed to, he just can't make any sense out of it all. And we can understand it by looking at it. We're, we're sort of outside the problem. We see all the different dynamics here. We can understand why he can't, you know, he can't comprehend and understand what's going on. And he just basically feels that his life is futile. His life is over. I want to die. And I think that uh, anybody in Job's place would, would have similar feelings to that. He says, is there not a time of hard service for man on the earth? Um, he uses this word service. It's actually a military term. And, and, it's, and it's the idea behind it is that he's, he's sort of, Job is sort of like a soldier, and he's just waiting for his enlistment to be over. And I can relate to that. <laughs> and anybody that was in the service, you can relate to that. You know, when, you know, you, and when you're in the service, it's called getting short. You know, you're counting the days until you're going to finally, you know, be released from military service. And that's what he feels like, you know. This has been a hard service. This has been a hard time. Um, and, and God enlisted him in this, you know, in this whole situation. And, uh, and he just wants to be free from it. He says, are not his days like the days of a hired man? Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, more literally, that's the shadow. And the whole idea here in antiquity is the guy would work and there was a sundial. Have you ever seen a sundial? Okay, it's a round dial. You got to have the sun for the clock to work, okay? And as the sun moves, you know, the shadow, the shadow moves, you know, to a different number. And so basically is what he's saying. It's like the hired man. He's waiting for the clock to hit five o'clock. You know, kind of thing. Have you ever had one of those kind of jobs where you're just like, I mean, you're dying to five o'clock? I've had some jobs like that. Uh, never in the ministry. Never in the ministry. Uh, day flies by in the ministry. But I've had some jobs where it's like, oh my goodness, only two o'clock. You know, kind of a thing. And you, and you, you die for those last three hours, and it's like, oh, finally. And that's how Job feels. Uh, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. So like a, a hired, he's, he's waiting for, for the paycheck. He's waiting for the end of the week. Now here's in verse 3 what I said before. So I have been allotted months of futility. So even at this particular point, there's been, he's gone on for months, you know, in this particular situation. Man, he's ready for graduation. He's ready. He wants it to be over. Wearisome nights have been appointed to me. And when I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? And the night be ended. For I have, lay, I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. You know, weary nights, he can't sleep, anxiety. Sometimes anxiety. You know, sometimes depression can put somebody asleep. The Bible says anxiety causes depression. It's interesting. Two different things, but that can be related. But sometimes you can have anxiety, you can't go to sleep. Have you ever, you ever had that kind of thing? Uh, I, I've got, I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I love the Lord. Uh, I don't have some big, long sin list. Uh, but you know what? I have a terrible time sleeping. I have sleep issues. And I just, that's just my life. And, and uh, I just say, I think probably what it is more than anything, God wants me to get up in the middle of the night and pray. <laughs> and what I want to do is turn over, fluff up my pillow, and go back to sleep, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, and so Job is talking about this, you know, these, sometimes, you know, anxiety will just kind of keep you from sleeping. You're just tossing and turning the whole night. Um, my flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. So physically speaking here, he's got some kind of skin infection. 
uh, some kind of infestation with worms, whatever the case may be, some, some, maybe some bacteria. What a mess, you know? And, and they keep oozing and erupting kind of a thing. I mean, this guy has been beat up. I mean, uh, you know, after everything was taken from him, Satan goes to God and says, well, you know what? Touch his flesh. You know, if you just touch him, God, he's going to curse you to his face. And, and he ain't doing that. But how difficult it must have been for this guy. And here's the deal, folks. He's in the will of God. He's in the will of God. <laughs> and there he is on the, he's on the ash heap. You know, got a piece of pottery scraping himself. What are these things crawling over my skin? Oh, God, I want to die. <laughs> I, I know I, would, I think I would be there with old Job, you know. Yeah, <laughs> kill me, Lord. Get it over with. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, speaking about the shuttle and the weaver's loom that goes back and forth, and are spent without hope. Remember the Bible says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 7, hope is an anchor for the soul. That's why people want to die. They don't have any hope. Again, what's that other, what's that other word for hope? Expectation. It is true. When you have no expectation of, expectation of life, you, you lapse into a depression because what? Nothing to live for. When I was in the hospital in 1970, uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine, um, we're in the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, we, um, we one day decided to walk the amputee ward. And there was a, uh, I'll never forget this, there was a Marine um, in his bed. And I'll never forget the look on his face because the, the look was so hopeless, so distant. It was almost as if this guy was going to live in shock for the rest of his life. But as he, was lay, as, he, as he laid there, he had no arms here and no legs there. He was just like a head and a square body, and I'll never forget that. And, and I, have, I have since over the years prayed for that man because you think about it, he's so he is so desperate, he can't even take his own life. And I can remember the look on this man's face. He was so utterly hopeless. But you know, there's people that have arms and legs in our world today that they feel just as hopeless. And you know the beautiful thing about knowing Christ? The thing, beautiful thing about knowing Christ is, you know, God loves you and you got worth. That, that's why, you know, people just feel like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a bump on a log. I'm just a face in the crowd. No, no, you're not. God, God loves you. He died for you. He's got a plan for your life. And I'll tell you what, no, I never experienced self-worth like I did when Christ came into my life. You get self-worth. You get value because you know God values you. God, God loves you. God's got a plan for your life. I don't care how old you are. One of the things that you see in the Bible, you know, God's got a plan. God's got a plan for Abraham when he's 70. God's got a new plan for Moses when he's 80. A whole new ministry when he's 80. <clears throat> now he goes on in verse 7, Oh, remember that my life is a vapor. My eye will never again see good. Not so, Job. The eye of him who sees me will, know, will see me no more. 
while your eyes are upon me, I, I shall no longer be. Remember Jacob when he cried out in the book of Genesis. Joseph was gone. You know, he was down in Egypt. Jacob didn't know that. In, in Jacob's mind, Joseph was dead. God sent him there because Joseph was going to be the savior of his people. He was a, mess, a messianic figure, okay? And the brothers go down for, for they go down for grain. Remember, there's a, there's a famine. They go down for grain. And, and this is, God just orchestrated this whole thing. It's such, a, it's such an incredible story, the story of Joseph and his brothers and that, that whole uh, latter part of Genesis from Genesis 37 on. Just you've got to read it if you haven't. It's just a great, incredible story. And so the brothers are down there, and Joseph is on the throne. Um, they don't know it's Joseph because this is, you know, this is like, uh, this is something like uh, 13, 14, 15 years later, and, uh, and he's probably, you know, he's, he's an important figure, okay? So uh, according to the Egyptian, you know, way of life, he probably had, you know, he probably had a, a, a miter on, he might have had makeup on, whatever the case is, that they didn't recognize him. And so he begins to question them, and, uh, and it's interesting because he, he, he questions them, is there any, anybody else in your family? And so, yeah, yeah, our brother Benjamin, but he's back home, you know, with our father. And so he says, okay, to see, if, to see if you guys are honest men, you need to go back. And I'm going to hold, I think, I think, he, I think he held Simeon. Was, was it Simeon? I think he held Simeon uh, as a prisoner. You go back to your father, and I'm going to give you grain. You go back to your father, and I want you to bring here your brother, Benjamin. And it's interesting because there was a test. The, the test was, are you going to give up Benjamin like you gave me up? That, that's, that's the test. That was the test. So anyway, the brothers go back, and they tell their father and, and they, that they have to take Benjamin now because, remember, Joseph and Benjamin were brothers. They had the same mother. Rachel was her mother. That was the woman that Jacob really loved. And so he loved Joseph. Remember, he, he, he was a favorite son. That's why the brothers hated him. And now all he had was Benjamin. And so they want to take Benjamin now. And what does he say? All things are against me. You know what the case was? God was for him. God was for him. And he was going to learn, um, you know, very soon that, that Joseph, uh, Benjamin was safe. But Joseph was alive. Can you imagine what that did for his heart? Can you imagine what that did for that old man, for his heart, when he learned out, Joseph's in Egypt. He's running the whole show. <laughs> That's why I often, say, I often say this. Just put a Jew in charge. It'll just, the whole thing will work, you know. It's true. Just put a Jewish person in charge, and man, God will bless it. We're going to close there. So as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he goes down to the grave and does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Well, again, the scripture says, for this I know God is for me. And this is not going to happen, Job. God has got another plan. Father, we praise you. Lord, help us, we pray, to take lessons, Lord, from, from the scripture. From the life of this, this fine man misunderstood, mistreated, but loved by you, Lord. Father, help us in our trials. 
Lord, help us to know your love, your compassion. Lord, your kindness, your mercy. Lord, that's one thing that we so long for is to know your presence, to have your peace in our heart, though the world may be against us. Lord, though we may be in a fiery trial, to know, Lord, that you're for us and that you're with us. And how I pray, Father, that as we go, Lord, about our, our lives this week, may your spirit, Lord, may you, may you be with us, may you watch over us, may you guide us, may you use us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let's all rise.